Seraphim. Welcome to episode 26 of The Voice of Seraphim, recorded on Saturday, May 21st, 2011. Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. Seraphim hosts a weekly tournament, monthly leagues, and other regularly scheduled events, including a cube draft. We use voice chat and have an active forum at seraphimclan.org where you can find out more about us. In today's episode of The Voice of Seraphim, Dicax, Eldritch Song, Fracture and Easy Pickens catch up on recent clan events, talk about Seraphim's Players Club, the upcoming NPH pre-release events on MTGO, and Wizard's new video for the Duels of the Planeswalkers and M12. Dicax is here. Hi. It must be time for a podcast. Hopefully. What are you up to? Uh, I'm just getting on. Gonna get all my clonatic stuff on the inter- internet. We're starting our second season this week, this Sunday night. Hope we can get some people involved this time. Cool. How's it going? We took two weeks off um, as we uh, we finished up our first season with ten wins, um, ten ten Sunday nights. Matthew's Meg was the big winner with three victories, and uh, hopefully we can get some uh, get some people going this week this uh, this season. Why don't you start playing with us? What time do you start on Sunday night? 8p. I've Who's often thought of it. 10 or 10.30. I've often thought of it. One thing is, um, 8 p.m. Seraphim time? Yeah. One thing is, the rule changes every week. Yeah? Yeah. You have to build a deck every week, that's right. <laughs> that's the hard part for me. I assume you announce what? the rules in advance. Oh, yeah, the, the rules are actually... Um, Fixing to post some now. Um, I'll post the first two weeks, and then the players uh, pick the uh, rest of them. People who are involved in the league. In fact, if there's a podcast tonight, maybe we'll have the podcast people pick me a rule set tonight. And you announce the rules a week in advance, or actually, as soon as I get them, I post them, and uh, there'll be a, there'll be a form called tournaments. I'm fixing to create it right now, and the rules will be in order, so you'll know three weeks from now what the rules will be. So that you can go ahead and start planning decks and and uh, thinking about it. I'll if I, think if of I did, it. If I didn't change the rules every week, then it'd be just like league. No, yeah, that's a good point. Which is which that never seem to. The league always starts off pretty well, and then it boils down to one or two people. I don't know why that is either. So you're trying to come up with a rule set. Now, do you? So you the rules are decided three weeks out. They can be, um, like. Last time we had like four or five weeks out. I haven't posted Sunday Night's Rules yet, but Sunday Night's Rules are going to be really, really cool. We, we just added 25 new cards, and so the rules for this Sunday are going to be everybody has to play those 25 cards, add artifacts and lands, and go. Mm. So there's very little variability, but since we just added 25 new cards, it'll be um, everybody will play with them the very first week to get, get accustomed to them and see what they are. Mm-hmm. So probably a pretty bad, bad deck, but it'll be it'll be funny to to see it. <laughs> and uh, like, what were some of the rules um, 
from the last season. They're still listed along with the winners for each one. Um, I'm on forms now, so let me get to there. Let's see, last season we had um, Singleton. Uh, all casting costs must be even. All casting costs must be one or two. Only creatures and enchantments, and creature enchantments. Uh, then we had uh, the series of one one deck to rule them all, which was uh, Singleton 60 card. One one deck to find them, which was monocolored, only one color. One deck to bring them all, which was all cards must have one on it somewhere, either casting cost, toughness, power, or activation cost, the number one. And then the last one was, then the next one was two color decks, one color must be black. The, the third one, the, the next one was Shards uh, of Alara blocks the three, one color and it's two friendly colors. And Matthew's Megman at the rule set. Um, all cards must have exactly two word names. And that was the first ten weeks. Cool. I admire you doing the podcast. How how uh, how much time does it take you to do it? Um, to edit it? No, just do the, yeah. After we record it, how long do you have a finished product online? Um, usually, let me think about this. Usually it probably takes me about four hours altogether. Do you actually do you actually cut out some crap or just let it let let it ride just like the way we, we recorded it? Well, the first thing I do is listen to it like at um not double speed but like one and a half speed where I can just understand it and I take out some parts that you know, are less interesting or altogether about four hours. What's up? Hey Eldritch, how are you? Alright. Did you win earlier? Oh, no, I didn't. Who won? Uh, Shrike? I've got pretty terrible luck when it comes to, uh, top two. I guess that was the, uh, Scars Block Tournament earlier today? Yeah. What'd you play? Um, Blue Black Poison. Poison. Oh. What does that deck consist of? Uh, Tezzeret's Artifact, Poison Creatures, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, the biggest difference between Mono Black Poison and the Blue Black is that it's got Tezzeret with more Poison Artifacts, like Necropede. So basically, Tezzeret's turned them into 5-5 five, five Poison Guys. Yep. Actually, probably the most beautiful win ever was uh, against... Actually, I played uh, Shrike in the Swiss, round three, and I beat him 2-1, which is kind of sad when you beat somebody in the Swiss and then you face him in the top two and lose, the you know, part where it actually matters. But uh, the last the last game against him was awesome. Like, uh, he was at five poison and just swing, like, you know, hitting for everything. I was, like, with one life or whatever, and then I came down with a Tezzeret and made my Ink Moth into a 5-5 five, five and just came for the win out of nowhere. Yep. I play Tezzeret with Ink Moths, and uh, that's really my only poison guy, but I have a lot of ways to put negative counters with the uh, the Videlkin, anarch- uh, not Anarchist, uh, Anatomist, and uh, Contagion Clasp. So I was able to proliferate uh, some wins like that, too. I proliferated a few wins. Actually, it was, it was funny, because uh, round one, I actually won by killing somebody, like, life total-wise. But the thing was, I didn't... Like, normally, like, if you were going to kill him like that, you would make, like, five fives with your Tezzeret and just, like, spang with those. 
the funny thing was I won by using Tezzeret's ultimate. I've never done that. Yeah, well, I hadn't either. And the entire game, I'm just drawing, like, artifacts, like, not, like non-creature artifacts the entire time. I'm just like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I, haven't, like, I don't have a single poison counter on the guy, and it's almost the end of the game. And I, I think he was playing poison also, so I, I was at nine poison counters when I won by ulting with Tezzeret. So you did all 20 points with one ultimate? Um, actually, I, I, hit him, I hit him once with a 5-5. Five five. So I did like 15 or 16. I had like, I had, I had like 8 artifacts out. I was, while you guys were playing, I was playing Matthew's Meg. He was playing uh, uh, Mirror with um, the White Enchantment. He gives everybody plus 2, plus 2. And every time he had something out, I was able to grab an answer for it and just smack him. It was a lot of fun. He didn't think so, though. I play no, treasure. I play treasure mages, and either go get Contagion, Engine, or Spine of Ishna, or some big smacking creature. Yeah, um, he was playing the mono blue deck, right? No, he was playing mono white with Murs. And oh, really? Still. Yeah. Because I played him. I played against him. I think it was yesterday, and he was playing mono blue, and had the same kind of thing. Like he was getting like mind slavers and. Still, like one game, like the only game he actually won against me, he had like four steel hell kites out at the same time. And it was another one of those mirror decks. He had like a mirror reservoir where you can search your deck for any mirrors. So he's like bringing out like uh, a uh, mirror battle sphere every turn. Steel sabotage, baby. Well, I started those in the next the next game and won. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm just glad the deck that his deck was pretty inconsistent. Whereas poison, you can count on that. So what was Shrek? So what? Um, he was playing mono white tempered steel. Oh, gotcha. He had the most ridiculous hand I think I've ever seen uh, when we played in the finals. It was one of those, like, affinity hands, like, that you'd only see, like, broken in, like, Legacy that just come out of nowhere and kill you. I think, like, I think when he, like, after, like, on turn zero, essentially, the very first turn of the entire game, he already, he'd emptied his entire hand. I knew that was dead as soon as I saw that. <laughs> but I managed to actually hold him off for a while, which was surprising. Uh... Looks like you're leading away in league. Yes. Scars of Mirror League. You're actually playing this time? Awesome. You see what happens when I play? That's why no one wants me to play anymore. <laughs> oh, is that the way it is, huh? Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, this one was, I had plenty of time to play this one. Plus, Scars Block is something I'm really familiar with, so it took me, like, literally, you know, a minute or two to make the deck, put it together after loading up the deck file. So, it wasn't that much of a time investment. I've been enjoying it. Well, when we but, start, after this pre-release, and we start doing uh, Scars of Mirrodin block drafts, they do one of each each set, I'll, I'll start drafting again. There's no way I want to draft two Scars of Mirrodin each, each draft, though, because I've got all those cards all I want. That's really kind of why I stopped drafting. I drafted a, a lot when, well, enough, I guess, when Triple MBS was out, but I don't want any more Scars cards about everything. Well, good luck. The good thing the pre-release is right around the corner. Yeah, I had a ter- uh, the paper pre-release. I had a terrible, terrible deck. The only thing that uh, carpool, the only thing that saved me were terrible, terrible opponents. So I went four and two. Damn. There's some really Grass. bad players I was up against. So do you guys play in the pre-releases online or? Do you hold off until the release events? Oh, no, I'll play pre-release. 
I usually play one pre-release and then wait for the release events. It really depends on how good the promo card is. When they were giving away the uh, the worm, I made sure to play four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that guy's good. Right there with you. Well, I might play a Swiss draft since they're three new Phyrexia booster packs. Well, actually, I mean, in terms of cards, eh, I mean, the Swiss sealed is more packs. Three more packs for ten more tickets. Payout's not that nice. Have they posted that stuff yet? Yeah. Starts on Thursday. When it comes to pre-release, I play sealed. The draft doesn't have a good enough payout if it's the same as usual. Yeah, for the draft, it's uh, three points will get you one MPH pack. Six points will get you two MPH. Nine points will get you four. And then sealed, it's... Six points will get you one, so you got to win two rounds. Nine points will get you four packs instead of two. Then twelve points, if you take the whole kit and caboodle, is ten packs. Which, that's nice, if you think you can pull that off. Now every now and then you're going to open up an insane pool. Hey, Easy, at your shop, did you have a lot of Karns opened up? Uh, we saw, they had a, a pre, pre-release where you could buy a... Um, a deck and one booster pack, and then you played around while you waited mm-hmm. for the tournament to start. One guy opened Karn there. No one opened Karn that I could tell um, in the whole thing, in the real one. Oh, we had like at least two in the pre release and three in the release. Crazy. It's like, wow. Nice. Because uh, tonight was our first tournament where we had, well, where you could win the player points. Oh, was it really? Yep, I posted the uh, stuff about the Seraphim Players Club maybe four days ago. Oh, damn. Well, I was just looking on the forum for, like, new active post. I wonder why I missed it. It's in the events section. It's an announcement post. It's kind of hidden, so I think what I'm probably going to do is, like, make a post on the main page about it and maybe have, like, even like, a little graphic somewhere on the page that says Seraphim Players Club on it or something. Well, why don't you tell us about what you went with? What do you mean? Well... How is it structured? Oh, well, I mean, it's essentially structured the way I talked to you about in the last podcast. Um, one thing that we're... Okay, well, I guess I'll go ahead and give you the general outline first. You know, we have currently, like, a maximum of 50 points, and there are the eight levels. And, you know, I told you about all the um, like rewards that come with each level, and those are still the same. Um, there has been a bit of discussion on the forums about um, when the points become active, or how fast people might be gaining them, and like when the things like that. So, um, and I did talk to you about how the points are going to be distributed based on tournament attendance. So, you know, anybody that attends any of our tournaments gets at least one point, and first gets four, and then second gets three, and then third and fourth get two each. And that's pretty much going to be the same across the board for any tournament. Um, one thing that I talked with Fistoffa about today actually was um, what kind of attendance constituted a clan player event, like, tournament. Um, I think we decided that we need to have at least six people for it to be considered a tournament of that nature. Oh, that's good. To count the oh, points. Makes sense. And um, one thing, like I said, we were talking about, like, some of the responses in the forums were, like, maybe that if we have this entire year to earn points, that it might... Like, the thing is that we, want, we don't want to make it too hard to earn points, but we don't want to make it so easy that, you know, half the people that are in the Players Club come next year are all level 8. That would kind of defeat the purpose of 
you know, making those levels exclusive. And plus, like, having to give a Planeswalker card to everybody that's level 8 would be kind of expensive at that point. So they want to make it kind of exclusive to be in the higher, like, high, higher rankings. Like, 5 and up, I think, should be a bit harder to get to. So um, it's possible you might make it sort of like a geometric growth. Like, maybe the first four levels have relatively low point requirements, and then the higher levels just get progressively further apart, more points required each time. Or participation doesn't count on the higher levels. Only first through fourth places count. See, I'm not sure whether I like that or not. I mean, the idea sounds sounds promising, I suppose, but the reason I'm not sure if I like that or not is because, I mean, I think people should be rewarded for just participating. Like, let's say that you're a player that doesn't necessarily always, like, get in the top four, but you I attend, can't. you know, all the tournaments... Can't. You know, you attend all the tournaments, the league, the cube draft, you know, things like that. You can get a lot of points that way, and it'd be a shame to say that you couldn't get to a higher level because you have to start winning in order to do that. I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I just feel like I'd rather reward people for participating and then, you know, going above and beyond and getting maybe top four, you get extra points. Then geometric. I wouldn't actually make it geometric. Because gee whiz, if your if your point level is ten to get to the next level, and then you go a hundred, a thousand, well that's no, that was that was an exaggeration. I think. <laughs> Pretty rough. <laughs> Let's go exponential. Yeah. No, the spread. I think the spread should. I guess what I meant by that is that the spread's going to grow each level. It's not going to be a, a it's not going to be incremental. At least for the higher levels, it should be a little bit harder to reach those. And then one thing that Ron Striker was talking about is I think he made the comparison to like frequent flyer miles. Where like as soon as you achieve a certain level in that kind of system, that you like automatically begin receiving the benefits of that as soon as you get the right amount of points, and plus it carries over to the next year as well. Um, I think maybe that would be a good idea because you know, the way I had it thought up originally was you earn points and then they don't actually apply till the next year, and you have those for the entire year. And like Rojaker was saying, like the problem with that is like what if you had a new member join in like January, you know, then they have to wait an entire year to be able to play in any of our special events, which seems kind of harsh, whereas we could let someone start earning the benefits of the level as soon as they gain it and then let that carry over as well. Well, I had a suggestion. Sure. I know a while back you were wanting to build in the Order of the Seraphim. This might be a good place to do that. Uh, Still nobody wants to be a cherubim. Cherub. See, but as long as you don't, as long as you don't, as long as you don't make it uh, singular, no one's gonna know what it is. <laughs> but like cherubim, that sounds cool. Then you say cherub, and they go. Oh. <laughs> I can't find that post on Wikipedia. I think I got a picture of fracture hanging from the uh, hanging from the ceiling wearing diapers. I think. <laughs> <laughs> what is that referred to on Wikipedia? I remember us looking at. Oh, it's in your signature. Is it? I thought. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Christian thought, angel yeah. hierarchy. That's it. I actually, had a debate with this. I'm not really debate, but he was talking about it, and then I was able to clarify, and I felt pretty cool. About how so? Uh, he was talking about. He made some kind of comment like, um, he's like, "Did you guys know that seraphim are like the highest order of angels in the you know whatever like the Christian hierarchy or whatever?" And it has some talk about it. And some people were talking about things, and I'm like, you know what? I can tell them the exact hierarchy, so I'm like, I just rattled it off. <laughs> Actually, it's... And they're like, of course you would know that. Oh, it's nice, too, because it has sphere. I'm not sure how we <laughs> how we integrate that. 
but I just thought the concept was cool. Even though I, I wanted, I, you know, I wanted to be like strictly non-denominational, but I thought the names were just so awesome. You have such promise. Yeah. Cherubim, Ophanum, Dominions. You shouldn't use the those names for the to describe the different level ranks. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, it'd only work if there were eight. There are eight. You're stuck with it now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't add another level. <laughs> are there actually eight? Yeah, there are eight. I thought you knew. Unless Seraphim is like the first. No, Seraphim's the highest. Okay, so you got Seraphim. Seraphim's the highest? I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Well, then you got more. One, two, three. You'll probably eventually have to add more as the points go on you don't want to get people just to like, you know, to use MMO terms, level 50, and have them cap out for just, you know, forever. There's no point in doing that. I just think it has a lot of rich flavor. It has a lot of flavor. Okay, there are technically nine. Looks like counting these. Yeah, I thought that Seraphim were. That was a general description, but it's not. That's fun. Do we want anybody to actually be a Seraphim? It should be like the overall unattainable. Yeah. There's only yeah. one Seraphim, and it's me. <laughs> And it's me. <laughs> that means the highest rank, though, is Cherub. That is, that is true. <laughs> I think I'll be an Archangel. It's so vulgar and low. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, what was it? I was talking to Fist earlier today about um, a... Like, you know, part of the um, part of the rewards for those level rankings are that like each they, you get this like, a little trophy thing for each level. So I was talking to Fist about making, like, a signature thing for that. And so I put together an idea I thought was kind of cool uh, based on some things he was telling me about. And then uh, he gets it and he didn't like it. Made me cry. Because like, one of the things he was saying that I liked was, like, he was talking about, um, like, in the left part of it, I mean, he had this one idea of, like, like, uh, like angels and swords and explosions and I don't know. And one of the, the other thing he was talking about was, like, a starburst of, like, all font colors, like, coming out of some kind of, like, symbol. So I did that idea, and then he had another idea about making the trophy look like it was foil, like, you know, like a foil magic card. Oh, that would be kind of cool. That would be cool. cool. So I did that. I got the foil part, and I got the starburst thing. And then I show it to him afterwards, and he says, I have a PM for him, he says, I've been looking at the banner and thinking, it's too colorful. <laughs> He's on Mumble. Yeah, but I'm not sure whether he's online or not. But if he is, like, he, he's welcome to jump in here and like correct me if I'm misrepresenting his <laughs> his meaning. I think he's out cold. And like one of the things is like uh, Dark Worship had this idea where um, for each level of the play rankings for the signature, you could use a picture of a card that has like that mana cost. For for instance, like level one would have a card that has one mana cost and then two mana cost, and you'd use for the card you'd use an angel for each of those mana costs. And I thought I had a cool, kind of cool idea because, like, obviously for one mana, there's an angel that costs that. I mean, that'd be, like, the most overpowered card in the world or most pathetic card in the world, an angel for one mana. Wait, isn't there one? What's that um, one casting cost lifelink thing that once you're over 30 life becomes a 5-5? Five, five? That's not actually an angel, though. I think it's got human or something. Oh, oh well. But the card I was thinking of to use is a one mana white card. It's from Alara, and it's called Angel's Herald. And 
I guess I, I like the flavor of the card because the effect is that you sacrifice like three cards of a certain color and you summon the Imperial Archangel out of your deck. So it's essentially like um, a precursor to you know a game-winning angel. So I thought that'd be kind of cool. Level one, you're not you're not actually an angel yet, but you're an angel's herald, and you're you keep working up the levels. Eventually, you'll become an angel, which is I thought was kind of oh, that's poetic cool. and adventurous. Oh. Yeah, but he sees the uh, he sees the guy put on like the picture of the angel's herald, and he's like, I like the left part, but we should just get rid of this picture. The left part. The part, like, the typical oh. part, part oh. that he oh. later decided that oh. he didn't gotcha. he didn't like. He he didn't like the implementation. It was good in concept, but. Oh, I just kind of from the. I'm not sure if anyone else was listening when he was trying to explain himself to me, but I felt like some of his ideas were like un, not like unrealizable. They were impossible to implement. <laughs> impossible. Like he wanted to have like an angel. Like an, I, I don't know how you would make a small angel like coming out of the the logo and then like have this like aurora of colors coming out of it and spraying over the, the thing and then. He wanted it to be, but he wanted to have an aurora of color, but still have white be the predominant color. It sounds like a contradiction to me. Mm. Anyway, I like the way I've got. I think I think the the concept I've got so far looks pretty cool. And if you go with the angelic hierarchy, you can build in the spheres too, which would be really cool. So what know. spheres do you mean? Uh, I don't know. First sphere, you... first sphere, second sphere, third sphere. Did I miss this? Did you guys talk about using magic card names as ranks? No, we're talking about using. Oh, well, one thing I we're talking about using the the names of the angelic hierarchy and like the Christian mythology as names for ranks. Yeah, I got that. But I'd, have you considered just using card names? Oh, oh, there's another thought. I mean, Order of the Sarah could be the first one because that's there's a Sarah angel and Order of the Dawnbringer and that kind of stuff. And you can just, you know, basically choose the angels you think are the, the nastiest and make them the top. I guess that's one way to do it. I wasn't actually thinking of giving names to anything at all. I was just, uh, just thinking of, like, putting level one on them. All right. Well, think about it. You're the clan leader, so you do what you want to do. See, the thing, though, is, like, they're not they're not for me. So, I mean, if you guys had a better, like, a better idea, like, if you want to name them, as card names or use these angelic hierarchies. Like, I don't care. I just want, like, I just want people to attend the tournaments. That's all, that's like the ultimate end goal for me. I think it would actually be a good idea to use um, the cards, because then you're associating yourself more with magic than you are with any one religion, in case anyone ever does have a problem with something like that. Um, yeah. Plus, the cards just make sense from a theme perspective, and the art already exists, and the names already exist. So just, at that point, you just got to figure out which ones are better and just go with that, I guess. You could use those in the signature. Highest level could be Iona. Could be what? Iona. Is she a cost? I thought she was nine. Uh, I'm not sure. I just know that she's the one that's the biggest pain in the ass. <laughs> then again, I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, the order of Iona sounds pretty cool. But so does the order of Akroma, I think. Yeah. I like the idea of using the card names. Hey, going back to the idea of um, the names for the different uh, angels, what about the idea of when you get to certain levels that are higher up, uh, you might, I don't know, pick which side you want to go on, almost kind of like the way you had Phyrexian versus Mirren. You could have, like, the Order of Iona versus the Order of Acroma or whatever version you'd want to do, and then the rewards would be different, and then I guess maybe the point of your journey at that point would be different. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> it does sound cool, and I am wondering about the point. I, I think the thing about 
that is, I mean, I kind of had a similar discussion with this about, um, he was talking to me about joining the Empiral Seraphim, um, which is one of the groups, like one of the five colors of Seraphim, whatever, that we had a while back. And, you know, originally, you know, those five groups were supposed to be like, you know, clan members were supposed to choose their side, essentially pick their color and join these groups and that they would do something, you know, we're not sure what, but they would do something in those groups that would make it worthwhile for them to join. And, you know, ultimately all that thinking, all that planning just led to us having a chromatic tournament each month. Um, but Fizz was talking about bringing it back, and he wanted to join the Imperial Serpent. And the conversation I had with him was, you know, you know, I, I like the idea. I mean, I made it up. And so I, I can see where, you know, how it sounds cool, because it sounded cool to me when I thought of it. But the thing is, you know, what's the incentive for people to join those different groups? And so I, I see what, what you're saying is, you know, if you have separate paths through these level rankings, and you could have separate benefit levels, like you know, maybe one group gets uh, more buys than another group, or maybe one gets something else, you know, and it would change, and you can choose, like, your, like your, you know, your reward, essentially, by which group you pick. Um, but I'm not sure how we would implement that exactly. It would seem like they'd only be, that would be, like, a whole bunch of different, like, it'd take a lot more work to make the uh, thing work at all. Also, for the names um, or the signatures, you could just go by like the levels or the number of mana and you get to choose like you can choose any two mana at level two you can choose any two mana angel as your card i mean one thing to keep in mind is that like for two mana there's really only one angel card that's at two mana and for three mana there's only one angel card that's at three mana so for those or we could kiss it keep it simple stupid and not have any of this and just have ranks <laughs> well, actually, it's kind of the direction leaning because, like, I like the idea of each level has its own mana cost, blah blah blah. So level one could be Angel's Herald, level two could be that um, I forget what the name is, uh, but this is a level, this is a level two cost Angel. I forget what it's called. And level three could be Janara Angel of War. And level four could be like Emeria Angel or something. I mean, once you get past three, I mean, it's not that hard to find angels for each mana cost. Um, so I mean, that wouldn't be a hard thing to figure out. Magic players demand complexity. Demand it. They demand it. I mean, one thing that I wanted to do was, like, make one trophy for each level. So as soon as you got that level, you could just go find the trophy and put it in your signature, and that would be that. Um, another thing I was actually thinking about was just, like, turning off signatures. Um, turning them off so that you couldn't actually... So individual players couldn't add their own. The way that the way you would get a signature is that an admin, like, gave you one. So as soon as you got a new rank, you would get the... You know, you an admin would go and edit your signature and give you the give you the trophy, so it'd be more like you're receiving an award as opposed to just like going out and finding it and putting it in your signature yourself. But I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to like stifle individuality or something because people have some pretty nice looking signatures sitting in there. Diecast. Uh, yeah. No, I can. That that seems reasonable though. It'd be hard at first. It'd be hard at first, but well, I'm glad you. Implemented the level system. See how it goes. And that started today. And that start earning points today. Yeah. So the people that played in the tournament today got points, and people that play in you know easy club magic tomorrow will get points. And we can even have our first level two tomorrow, depending if uh, maybe I don't know. I guess if someone that attended the tournament today ends up winning the club magic tomorrow, they can get five points and be level two. Yeah. So I guess I'm working. I'm working on the signatures because. What Fish was talking to me about, which, you know, all the things Fish, you know, does, does go through. He's got a lot of ideas, but there are, you know, some gems among them. So I think he was saying was uh, he uh, 
seeing that if we got these trophies out early, people could start displaying them, then it might, you know, cause more people to want to go and play in tournaments the way they could get their level up and get the new trophies. So I can see the logic in that. So if I get this level one trophy out, I can give it to everybody that played in the tournament uh, today, and then people might go, oh, that looks kind of cool. I want to have one of those. So I might play in our next tournament just to get one. How many points do you have to get to beat the level one? Just one point? Just one point. Hey, so I got one. Yes, you did. Everyone that played today would will get a level one trophy. I didn't really play. I allowed everyone that played against me to get fives. <laughs> it's kind of harsh. I had some really bad draws the whole tournament. I think I predicted, didn't I, when I was talking to you after the match that I was going to lose in the top two to bad draws. No, I didn't hear a lot of that. I ended up going in the other room and needing to calm down. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah, we always about it afterwards. True. I've... I, I got, like, the most angry I think I've ever been at anything when I, I think maybe the first or second time I ever played in a daily and just got totally destroyed by some deck, and I couldn't remember what it was. And so after that point, I pretty much started I was never going to play a daily again. Yeah, I tried playing in one of the, uh, just the two-man queues, because I was like, all right, there's only one person i got to beat, I've got a pretty good pauper deck, I'm going to go in there. And I ended up playing against that um, Apprentice Storm deck, and I'm like, oh, I just gave this guy two dollars. Bastard. Hey, I top eight eight at a premiere event last night. Nice. Zen block uh, sealed. I was eighth. Of course, there were only thirty seven, but I won twelve packs, and that's pretty cool. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And three QPs. Although I don't know what QPs are or what you do for them, with them. No, I know they're qualifying points, but you get QPs at McDonald's. They're pretty tasty. <laughs> QPs qualify you for the uh, championship. Awesome. How many uh, do you need? Like 100? I think you need like 11 to actually qualify. And then the more you get after that, you get like extra things. Like this is sort of like the players club for like for Seraphim, essentially. You get you know you get access to the tournament at like 11 points, something like that. And then the more you get, like you get buys for other levels or things like that. Mostly just buys. The more points you have, the more buys you get. So wait, if I get like 11 or some number thereabouts, I can enter into a championship? Yeah. I'm not sure what the format is this year. but um, Or it's not this year, but this month. Sorry. 15. Wait a minute. You have to have 15. Isn't that the thing they're doing with... Isn't that the event that they're using the uh, modern set for, the modern tournament? Mm, that's... Mm, that's the... I think that's the Magic Online Community Cup. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's different. I really hope they make that a regular uh, uh, format online. What What is modern? So everything everything from mirrored and forward, and it has its own band list. Basically, it's kind of interesting because they're I think they're getting rid of key components for decks that are just broken in that sort of a format. So all the artifact lands are banned. Skull clamps banned. Jitay's banned. Um, Golgarian grave troll is banned. Um, Sword of the Meek is banned. Chrome Mox is not Chrome. Uh, the Mox from the Mirrored Blocks band, I think that's the one. One of the other, one of those two is banned, uh, and a few other cards that I'm kind of blanking on. But it looks to be kind of interesting because it'll. I guess the theory is it might be cheap for people to get into that format, and the decks, the decks won't be as degenerate. But we all know how that goes. That actually sounds kind of stupid, just because isn't that what Extended used to look like before they changed it? Well, I think this is them realizing that it. 
changing extended was probably one of the worst ideas there. I think you're on to something. Because I think extended was pretty cool before they changed it, and then it's like, I don't know, but... Oh, yeah, I used to play extended all the time, because you didn't have to worry about playing with, like, the old-school dual lands or a lot of the older cards, and then they decided, no, we're going to make it this new format that now nobody plays. So extended current... What was extended before? Extended currently is two blocks. No, four blocks. It basically, the extended used to be the last seven years' worth of cards. It was pretty much mirrored and up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you renamed that modern, and it's more fun. No, I could see how they see they made a mistake. I think they know they made a mistake. People are just not playing it. They never admit they make mistakes, though. Why would you do that? No need to do that. That's why you don't go back to extended, you call it modern. It's one way to go around it. But, actually, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I did I did enjoy the, the new extended, the way they had it, because it felt nice to go back and play some of the other decks you kind of missed out on in standard previous years, but yeah, I mean, that format was a bit stale, and I'm kind of sad that nobody plays it, because standard right now is kind of depressing, and I mean, only format really that's that exciting right now is block, or legacy. <laughs> Yeah, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that everyone's just tired of seeing those decks, and now you get to see them again, but no one really wanted to see them again anyway. And yeah, standard is kind of... I think a lot of those formats are basically bashed to death by the cost of getting into them, and just allowing you to basically play with those a little bit longer, I guess, is trying to make people feel better about spending $100 on a Jace or whatever, but it just makes people that didn't get them not want to play that format, and people that already played that format want to move on to the next thing. I mean, to me, it seemed like too huge of a gap. You know what I'm saying? Like, you buy these cards, and they're good for only, like, two or three years, and then they're, they're out of extended, and they're into Legacy then. And once a lot of these cards go into Legacy, they're just so underpowered compared to the other cards that are being played in that format. Like, at least with the old stand, I mean, the old extended, you had, like, seven years to play with your cards, essentially. And now, I don't know, I feel like the, the, the gap is too low to actually made the cards less valuable by doing that. Oh, no, yeah, but I think that's the reason why they did the extended, is they wanted to try and get people to continue to play with them in that format, but it didn't really work out. Dicax, is this a podcast? Uh, yeah. We never had our introductions. No, I know. It's horrible, isn't it? Not really. I just didn't know if you were recording or not. That's because Dicax knows we have better conversations when we're not recording, so he tries to trick us into talking by pretending he's not recording. Pretty much true. So I want to know, what three cards from New Phyrex here are you most looking forward to? I don't have a list of three, but the one I've been waiting for since the uh, first Poison Counter was placed was the 1-1 one, one Poison Guy for a 1. That's a good one. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to, as a whole, a lot of the Phyrexian mana cost cards, even though I think that they're going to destroy the game in ways that no one really was anticipating right off the bat. And I'm also looking forward to that I think it's called Birthing Pod. That thing that you sack a creature and go get a creature that's casting costs one more. Yeah, that was that would be on my list. I've been uh, kind of beta testing it with uh, another Magic program where they put that in there along with all those guys that make golems. And the deck I put together with it is lots of fun. I don't think it would be competitive, uh, but it has been a lot of fun. I'm pretty excited for Karn. He's so awesome. I can cannot even describe how long I've been waiting for a Karn Planeswalker card. I'm kind of excited that he's hitting the format. I just hope I never have to play against him. I've had him as my avatar for so long now. It's like my second identity. Kind of not looking forward to some of the the mythics that are coming out of that set, though. Not because I don't think that they're any good. I think they're just too good. 
the flexing of Bloody Raider is ridiculous. Um, a buddy of mine went to the pre-release, and he's a pretty aggressive trader. He's already got four of those in a black deck he put together. And he also has another deck that runs Karn in the same deck as uh, several Batter Skulls, and all those cards are just disgusting. I mean, there are plenty of ways to deal with the Obliterator, though. I mean, he's not, like, an insta-win. No, nah, but he pretty much is... He's a lot harder to deal with for certain decks. Red can't deal with them. And green's going to have real problems dealing with them, too. Yeah, that's 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 true. They're going to have to splash some other color. What I think is funny, though, is that all the colors that people are playing in tournaments right now won't have any problems dealing with them because nobody plays green or red anyway. Well, no, green's going to have that um, the new Vindicate. Yeah, good point. I keep forgetting about that card. I'm pretty excited about right, that right. card. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm mind turning your Jason into an elephant. I guess Birthing Pond, the new Vindicate, and uh, Karn are like my top three right now. I just wish it would hurry up and get here. It seems like it's been in paper forever now at this point, and we still haven't even gotten the pre-release, and I don't usually play in pre-releases because they're more expensive for no reason. That's really honestly why I was so disappointed about them spoiling this. I mean, not they didn't spoil it unintentionally, but the set being spoiled so early. It's because the entire time you're like, okay, these are so awesome, but I can't play them for another month and a half. Well, it's almost like two months. The pre-release is, what, next weekend? Yeah. So no one's really going to have a, a significant amount of them until about two weeks after that. That's true. So anybody playing any of the uh, the old format drafts that happened this week? Nope. Uh, I believe they are drafting um, Mirage Block and uh, Tempest Block uh, this past week. Yeah, Post was telling me about what they're playing. They had like five wastelands or something like something like that. Yeah, he cleaned up. He can. He uh, was talking it up in the chat and so, or in uh, clan chat, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go in." And I played two uh, two uh, games, two complete. Uh, sorry, two drafts entirely, and both just got awful picks. Well, the thing is, like, Pasta can make any draft format sound good. Because when he talks to you about his luck, you're just amazed at the kind of pulls he has. I've never seen anybody that gets the kind of stuff he does me drafts. Yeah, that's what always bothers me about drafting sometimes. I mean, I have had drafts where I've gotten some good cards, but it always seems like I'm getting the substandard stuff, and if I manage to win, usually I end up opening up decent stuff. But everything I'm getting past is almost always just terrible. Yeah, that's why that's why you can't really draft and at the same time hope to get good cards. I mean, you, honestly, that they have to be a surprise, because you can't just sit there and maybe if you go into the drafts and like hope to get good cards, you're going to be disappointed every single time. Well, normally I don't do that, but I, I was looking over the uh, the rare list for that set, and it was like half the rares in that set, in that entire block are you know pretty good cards that you wouldn't mind owning, and it was like I wasn't opening any of them. Yeah, that's true. Those are the yeah. It's the thing for me with like Masters Edition. That's why I, I wanted those dual lands so bad, and then I ended up getting like two <laughs> the entire time, and I played like fifteen of those drafts. Yeah, I got three duels uh, out of that whole shenanigans. Oh, I guess I wouldn't mind it so much if. When you were done, at the end of the day, you actually had a bunch of cards you'd still want to play with, which is one of the problems, I think, with the older formats. The newer formats, I don't know, it seems like a lot of the cards that I get, I can I can still figure out decks they can go in. And with a lot of the older formats, it's like, okay, I'm done drafting, I didn't get the good rares, and all these commons are terrible. Yep, that's that's pretty much it exactly. But that's also why I don't tend to play newer formats if I have all the cards, because, you know, I don't want to play, like, Scars Block and get, you know, even if I win and I... But and I end up with a deck with just all commons and uncommons. You know, I already have a full set of all of those, so you know, it's almost like pointless to keep playing that format. Well, that's why I'm glad at least they're going to be allowing us to do uh, triple new Phyrexia when it comes out in the draft. I can just do several of those and have my fill. New Phyrexia will be fun, I think, especially when you do 
just the triple nuclearexia. You can go infect in any color now. During the pre-release, I got that uh, the red pump infect guy. That was so sweet to have a zero four sitting there with one or two red men untapped. What an amazing blocker he was. And then when you finally got to swing, craziness. Yeah, I'm liking those, uh, the new infect guys. I was hoping that white would get some more um, infect creatures with higher defense, but they, they did get a 2-3 flyer. Yeah, overall, I think it'll make a pretty good draft format. Well, speaking of new Phyrexian draft, do you guys want to do Crack Pack? Um, one last uh, thing before we move on to that. Have you guys looked at any of the newer spoilers that have been coming out for both uh, Commander and also leaked Planeswalker information for the upcoming set? No. Tell us. Uh, Wizards on their Twitter uh, account and also was spoiled over on Magic Salvation that there's going to be a Merfolk Planeswalker at some point in the near future. But that's all the information we got, so we don't know if it's going to be a Mer if it's going to be a tribal planeswalker in the same way that Nissa was, or if it'll just be end, end up being like the way um, Soren was, where he was a vampire planeswalker, but he had nothing to do with vampires. And the other information that they spoiled about Commander was uh, we got, and I don't have any information in front of me, so I'm just going to tell you what the, the card does. There's a new red and white legend. Don't know its power and toughness. It's an angel and instance and... Basically, fast effects and instants can't be played during combat, I think, is the way she works. Which is kind of odd to give to red and white. But, is it for all players or only for opponents? I think it's everyone. It basically, I think the way it reads is something along the lines of, like, you know, fat, uh, fast effects can't be played during combat, something like that. And this is a bit awkward for red and white. But who knows what kind of a deck she's going to end up in. It really kind of depends. Um, also, the other information they spoiled is that they're each deck is getting something called a command tower, which produces mana and is somehow going to be used to cast your commander. I'm not sure exactly what it is or what other information is coming off of that, but that, along with several other tidbits of information, came off of a uh, commander achievement chart that is going to be given out on the game day when commander is going up for sale. That if you play in game day and you complete any of these achievements, uh, you can mark them off on your sheet, and if your local store is doing anything with that, you might end up getting points from them or prizes from them. Who knows? Uh, but it is kind of interesting, because I know we were talking in the past about doing um, commander-specific achievements, and it might be a good place to look to get ideas of how Wizards is thinking about doing it. Well, they may build it into the next Magic Online. Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad if they do that. I'll also be glad if they figure out how to make that interface less clunky when you're in a four-player game. I'll just be glad that we're getting a new version, period. True. Oh, yeah, there was one last bit of uh, spoiler information. They released complete deck lists for the upcoming um, event packs for New Phyrexia, and uh, one of them is pretty sweet. One of them's got two Stoneforge Mystics and a, uh, that Platinum Paladin, I think it's called. Pierce Dew. Yeah, that guy. I saw those. I wasn't that impressed, honestly. Like, I feel like if you bought them, you just... I mean, I, I think they're good value. I mean, you're getting the same... I mean, uh, either the same value, the same money you're putting into, like the 24 whatever it is, $24 to buy it, you're getting at least that value and maybe a little bit more, but the decks themselves don't look that exciting to me. I think they're better in paper. I mean, they're more meaningful in paper, I think. Because paper cards are sometimes harder to get a hold of. More than that, though, I think like the decks, and I mean, people that buy them in paper actually probably play the decks like they were built, right? There's a lot of people on Magic Online like just buy those to break them apart and use individual cards. True. Um, 
But as you were mentioning before, uh, the value is there, and I'll probably do a breakdown on the forms at some point here in the future on them. Hell, one of them, the two Stone Forge Mystics alone is a pretty good buy on those. Although the one thing I am noticing is that you, you don't, if you do buy those, if anyone is buying those to get value out of them, just know, know that you're getting play value out of them. You're not really getting actual value out of them. Now, can we do crack a pack? Sure. Anything else we're missing while I open this up? Just a couple of brain cells. No. Let's do it. Well, I am looking at some of the uh, SIGs that you've made for people on the forums, and I find it amusing that the uh, black mana symbol looks like the Punisher logo. Oh, that's, okay. that's the way it looks. Got an awful lot of trophies. Like, it's funny. Like, I like, go down, like, I go to the Hall of Fame, I start scrolling down, and actually that, that page is getting pretty long. You need to get a deck together that will actually win, and then not have bad luck. I would like to get a trophy at some point. Made about 55 trophies so far. I just find it funny that we'll go through there and see the ones that Pasta made and contrast those with the <laughs> other ones. The best one by far is the one he made for Iceman 1 with Elspeth. That was, that is pure genius. I can't see that, no. It's number 42. He made the Elspeth Terrell one, and it's, it is good. Considering he made that in paint. Wow. Where, where, no, I mean, where, yeah, are where would we see these? Go to the events form and look at the Hall of Fame. Oh, I see that. <laughs> is that the U UW Mass Polymorph deck? Yes, it is. It's hilarious. <laughs> and where is this? Oh, wow, yeah. That's pretty damn good for paint, man. It's quite the jaw on that lady. Wow, and he did Mirror and Crusader. Look at that thing. That <laughs> one dude screaming's killing me. He's quite the artist. See, I have the easy... Easier, but I just made a template, what, like a year and a half ago, and I just, like, throw images on there. <laughs> the Bizarre Trader one's funny, too. What is the uh, Indian-looking one? I don't recognize that card. Looks to me like a superhero Indian guy, screaming. Uh, it's the one right below the Bizarre Trader one, Seraphim Event Rotation, June 11th through June, July 2nd. Oh, God, I forget when that is. <laughs> I think the picture, it's a guy, like, desertion or something like that, because I think he's throwing a sword and shield away and running away. That's not a cape, that's a shield he's throwing down. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Thanks. Looks like he's wearing a poison badge. I can, picture the, <laughs> yeah, I can picture the card in my head, but I can't remember what the hell it is. All right, so let's begin with Crack Pack. Is this new for us? Oh, yeah. I'm not so up on these yet, so this will be interesting. Should be. First one is Insatiable Soul Eater, which is four colorless. It's a 5-1 beast. It has for one green Phyrexian mana. Insatiable Soul Eater gains trample until end of turn. Yeah, that's, the least, that's the least impressive card of that cycle. The one toughness, despite the trample, the one toughness just makes it almost unplayable. First strike and any number of ways of just dealing with a point of damage to him takes him out. All kinds of counters flying around. That guy is the weakest of that cycle. Yeah, especially if you're not playing in a green deck. Someone could basically wait for you to pay the two life and then kill him. Uh, the card that Pasta made was called Demonic Dread. In case anybody cares. You need to look that up. It was bothering me that I couldn't recognize the picture. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good likeness of Demonic Dread. The next comment is Loxon and Convert, which is three and a white. It's 4-2 Elephant Soldier. Vanilla Elephant Soldier. 
effects. Next is Evil Presence, which is one swamp. Get to enchant a land. Enchanted land is a swamp. Okay, we're looking for refund on this pack so far. <laughs> I don't know why they decided to bring that back. See, that lets you draw a card like um, Spreading Seas did. It'd be a lot better. It's a reprint from an older set. It's a card that wasn't very exciting back then. Come to think of it, do we even have that many creatures in standard right now that have Swamp Walk to make that even matter? Blister Scrub. Shield Red, but Whispering One. But uh, I don't know if that makes it worth playing yet. No. <laughs> the uh, next comment is Scrapyard Salvo, which is one and two red. Sorcery. Scrapyard Salvo deals damage to target player equal to the number of artifact cards in your graveyard. I mean, I can see someone making, like, a casual deck trying to abuse, like, Mill and then Scrapyard Salmo, but this is, like, not a card you ever want to pick up in Limited. Yeah, I had a terrible, I had a terrible sealed deck pool, and I played all red and artifacts, and I have actually left that card out. So far, this is the kind of pack that I'm hoping never makes it back around. Well, let's see. The next common is Blind Zealot, which is one and two black. It's a two-two, human cleric with Intimidate, and whenever Blind Zealot deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. If you do, destroy a target creature that player controls. That's a good limit, good limit removal. Yeah, it's actually a really sweet card. Yeah, with Intimidate, it means you can uh, hopefully get in for some damage before something impress imposing comes out of the battlefield that you really need to kill. And with Intimidate, that means you might be also on to uh, get some equipment on it. It's not so good though, because the Tenet can be blocked. Can be blocked by artifacts, and there's a lot of artifacts floating around out there. Mm, true. Well, there, oh, yeah. know, the one thing I like about it is that, unlike certain cards like Ofro, you know what, you know whatever cards like that that have like, you know, they have limitations on what they can destroy. At least this one says, you know, as long as you do damage and sacrifice this card, you can kill a creature, and it's not kind of you know it can't. It can be an artifact. It can be whatever. Good point. I also like that you don't have to sacrifice Blind Zealot, so you can actually use the card just as a straight-up beater, and that when they do play a card you want to destroy it, then you could choose to sacrifice it and use the ability. The uh, next common is Mutagenic Growth, which is one Phyrexian green. It's an instant target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. The guys who do all the web shows have really just gone overboard on this card. I, I don't see it that much better than a giant growth. I think it's going to fit, the, fit in the same niche. Uh, certainly can be in any color. So now you just have to plan on everybody having a giant growth in their hand, but I don't think it's any better than that. I think the reason I think it's better is because it's free. Uh, so if you're trying to do the, the fast, like mono green or mono anything at this point, uh, fast infect deck, and you've already got pump spells, this is just another one that even if you're tapped out, you can pump with. Yeah, I play that deck, and plus two isn't isn't the standard. Uh, plus four is the standard. So, you know, I don't think that's all that great. Uh, certainly it's going to – everybody's going to try to play one. Now, you can't ever assume just because somebody's tapped out that they can't uh, win that fight on the field, though. Actually, the combination I'm looking for uh, this to be in uh, is actually not in limited. It's in pauper as uh, the green-white. Infect deck I've got going on because the whole idea with that is to get as many cheap green or white spells into the stack and then play the one white spell that's basically target creature gets plus one plus two to end of turn and it's got storm. So this spell would fit in great with that. 
It would. So the next common is Gremlin Mine, which is one colorless. It's an artifact. For one, you can tap it, sacrifice it. Gremlin Mine deals four damage to target artifact creature. Or you can pay one colorless mana and tap it, or sacrifice it, I mean. And remove up to four charge counters from target non-creature artifact. You know, never actually seen this card before, but it actually does seem quite interesting. Might actually be playable. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you can blow up certain things with it is useful, or take counters off of uh, artifacts is useful. It's just one of those things that it's so situational. Board pick. Is he does a sideboard card even in even in a limited deck? The thing about this, though, I mean, it's sort of like, I think in Scars of Mirrored, especially in Limited, you can almost always count on having some kind of target board. Like, almost everybody's going to have at least one artifact in their deck that you can use the card on, and, I mean, it answers Tumble Magnets, it answers, answers like, Nitrogen Sensors, it answers any of the Trigons. Um, I don't know, I actually think it probably would be, not a main deck card in, like, a high quality, maybe, like, one, at least maybe one, and your main deck wouldn't be terrible, and it you know, it's cheap, so it works with Metalcraft. I mean, not, uh, yeah, Metalcraft. Oh, I kind of like it. It's sort of like having another Shatter in your deck. I mean, it costs the same as a Shatter, but you don't need to have red mana. <laughs> and Block, it's probably going to be pretty nice, because uh, you can get rid of people's Tumble Magnets or get rid of their Critters. At least playing in the uh, tournament we did tonight, there's no a lot of either Tumble Magnets or Artifact Creatures running around. The uh, next common, which I'm looking forward to, I think... Porcelain Legionnaire, which is two and one white Phyrexian. It's a three-one soldier with artifact creature with first strike. This guy rocks. So glad to hear you say that. And, and he, I just, I just built a deck this weekend, uh, and there's four cards missing from it. And those are the four cards as soon as I get them in paper, because the the soldier ability. First of all, he's a soldier, and there's a lot of good soldier stuff out there. He's a 3-1 first strike for two. I mean, he's just going to be out there putting some serious beats by turn three. Turn two. Attacking on turn three. Unfortunately, he doesn't have haste two, which he probably should. Oh, good point. That'd be sick if he did. I think that'd be too much. That's what Lightning Greaves is for. You guys don't like this guy? No, I like this guy. Oh, no, I like him. I didn't have much to say because you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Yep. Looking forward to putting him in my white weenie deck. The uh, next common, still, is Thundering Tanadon, which is four and two green Phyrexian mana. It's an artifact creature. It's five four with trample. It's a dinosaur. He's pretty good. He's a dinosaur for anyone that needs one too. He doesn't have to just go in a green deck. Actually, I kind of want to stop here for a second. Easy, you went to the pre-release? Yeah, I did. Uh, AP release, yes. How many fraction uh, cards did you draft? It wasn't a draft release. This was a this was a, a sealed deck, and I think I I put about six in my deck. Um, the one that I like the best is the white one that gets protected from anything. I forget the name of it now. How badly uh, did paying the life hurt you at all, or did it, did you uh, pay the life? Well, of course, like anything else, uh, late game it meant a lot, but early game it, uh, you always use it as an advantage. So basically, if I'm playing life early game, I'm doing well. If I draw a card late game and you're down to three life, then you're not doing so good. All right. 
You can go in the dark axe. Thank you. The next, oh, the first uncommon is Necropouncer, which is six colorless artifact equipment. It's a living weapon. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus one, and has haste. Its equip cost is two, and remember, it's six colorless mana. That seems very expensive. I mean, you know it comes attached to a dude, but ugh. In turn six, haste doesn't seem that relevant. Well, not haste on a free one either. And think of all the bombs that cost six mana, and this guy is definitely not a bomb. He's an abomination. Uh... So sure, he's he's uh, third or fourth pick, um, but he's not. He's there's better six cost stuff to put on any deck. I I wouldn't I wouldn't pick him third or fourth pick unless there was nothing else in the pack. Well, he's non-color specific, and his equip cost is two. So once you get it out, you can pretty much switch it around to where you need it. Yeah, but uh, see, I don't understand cards like this because for six casting costs, you don't want something that's that size, and for an equip cost of two. Uh, to give something haste just seems weird. I mean, if I'm bringing a creature out, let's say it's going to obviously be like turn seven, and it's a creature that's going to cost me like five mana. It just seems like I don't want to devote all my mana just to get this. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work. Haste for two is pretty big. Everybody who, come, everybody who put out now can attack on that turn, plus three, plus one. That's pretty good, but the, but the six is where six casting costs is where it gets me. I mean, but if I want to use a, an equipment card for haste, I would play Strider Harness. Oh, yeah. Sardhars is great. Yeah, I think with something like haste, you want the equip cost to be as cheap as possible. I mean, and the thing that bothers me is, like, look at, look at other six-costed equipment. Like, for six mana, I could play an Argentum armor. I mean, I've never... Like, I've had that in my pool a few times, and maybe in draft once or twice, and really, I've never main decked that card because it is far too slow, and it just it's too easy to remove. And I think this card is similar in a lot of ways. Like, I'd rather cast an Argentum armor over this, and I never yep. would play yep. an Argentum armor. That's right. All right, so it would be the poop. Hey, the next one is Rage Extractor, which is four and one red Phyrexian mana. It's an artifact, and whenever you cast a spell with Phyrexian mana and its mana cost, Rage Extractor deals damage equal to that spell's converted mana cost to target creature or player. It's not good in a draft, but I'm curious to see how that deck works out in a constructed deck. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen um, Dark Worship's Tezzeret. Uh, thread lately, but he posted a deck with Tesseret and this card that looks like it's going to be really sick. So he's using all artifacts with Phyrexian mana, getting up, fetching up the Tesseret, and then laying down the smack with the red, huh? Exactly. Using Tesseret's plus one ability to fetch artifacts from this deck that have the Phyrexian mana cost in them. And one thing he pointed out that I thought was kind of cool is once you have Rigid Structure on the board, like it doesn't matter whether anybody like, counters your spells or kills them or what have you. Um, because the effect triggers on cast, not on resolution. Nice. This actually came in, came in my sealed pool as well, and I, I didn't play it. Even though I had five or six Rexing cards, I couldn't count on them. This is a constructed card. Yeah, for sure. This is not a limited card. Because um, the worst thing ever would be to play the card and then just have it sit there, because you don't have any Rexing cards in your hand to do anything with. Yeah, I've been having similar problems with that. Uh, I've been working on, uh, unrelated to anything, a, a deck that uses Nim Death Mantle. And when you get the combo going, it works really, really well. But uh, I've had a number of games where I cast it and it sits there, and I'm like, wow, I really wish that was something. Nice. The, uh, hey, Fist. The uh, next uncommon is Postmortem Lunge, 
Lunge, which is X and one black Phyrexian mana. Sorcery, return target creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next instep. I like that they're giving this to everyone. It's one of the few spells I like that they're giving to everyone. I mean, it sounds it hurt as hell with this card, whether it could be good or not. Um, I don't think it's going to be that good limited. I think it might have some very, very minor constructed applications, but it does seem interesting. Well, think about dredge decks and reanimator decks. Uh, if you pull out your Blackstone Colossus, okay, of course you got to pay X, so that's not going to work either. Yeah, and the thing in limited is, like, I'd rather have another creature in the place of this card as opposed to being able to bring back a creature from my graveyard. I mean, because the, like, there's no guarantee there's going to be a creature in your graveyard worth bringing back. No, it's pretty unexciting. So uh, I got a foil, so I'll mention the foil. I don't think I've ever seen this happening. I don't know what the odds are. The foil is Thundering Tanadon. It's a shiny dinosaur. <laughs> so the rare is Chancellor of the Tangle, which is 4 and 3 forest. See, Evan, you may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, at the beginning of the first of your first main phase, add 1 forest to your mana pool. It has Vigilance and Reach. I like that guy. Well, as far as a uh, red symbol card, he's singularly unexciting. Seven mana for a 6-7, and then you get one additional green mana at the beginning. Of the, at the beginning. I'm not sure he's uh, all that hot. Doesn't he do something else? He has nope. Vigilance and Reach, if that's what you mean. Um, I don't think that he's as bad as you might think, because because he has Vigilance and Reach, that means that you can swing in uh, for a good amount of damage, and you're always going to have a blocker that can block anything that's flying at you, too. I mean, I think, I mean, Easy does have a point. I think of, like, the Chancellor cycle, especially, he's probably one of the most, like, the least exciting. Um, oh, oh, I don't but, doubt that. I'm just saying that I, I, as far as this pack goes, I think it's a pretty good card. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you both make a good point. I mean, I think this is, this thing, this, this is the first pick. I mean, this is the, probably the pick of the pack, is undoubtedly it is the most powerful card in the pack, except Maybe maybe Porcelain Legionnaire, but even so, this like this is one of the guys you're not going to see that often. So you have to kind of pick him just because you know he's a kind of a bomb and he's the best card in the pack overall. But I can I can think of a lot of rares or mythics for that matter that I would rather have over this guy. But I mean, considering that they're a lot worse, also, so I'd probably be going into green, to green after this pack pretty heavy. Yeah, you kind of have to. All right, that's crack pack, and that's episode twenty four. Or 25. Or 26. Or whatever this how you count them. Eldritch. Yep. Yes, Eldritch can't count. He's in college. Took a lot of studying. All that college education. A lot of late nights. A lot of late nights. You probably still have to review it before you actually do it. Yeah, counting is one of those things and memorized for the test and then forgot the day after. Eldritch, stick around for a minute or two after, after we sign off. I got a couple questions for you. Sure. Oh, did anybody see this video for The Gathering 2012, for M12? Oh, yeah, we could talk about that, because I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think it was Orenki that brought that to my attention, and I'm, I know you guys probably heard, like, a while back, where they were talking about, like, some other discussions where they were talking about how Gideon and Soren Markov are going to replace a Johnny and Liliana Vest and M12, because of the fact that they seem to be replacing those two and the Duels of the Planeswalkers 2012, and 
mean, I, I guess it's still not a completely confirmed rumor, but this video definitely makes me kind of lean toward the fact that it is true, because at the very end of the video, they show the five Planeswalker cards kind of spread out, and you can see uh, Sauron Markov and Gideon in there with the M12 symbol um, in their expansion slot. Were the other Planeswalkers uh, for the other colors the same, from what you could tell? From what I could tell, they didn't. the only card you could see 100% clearly was Gideon, and the rest you could see like, the beginnings of their name, so... One thing that I couldn't, I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the, the Jace was Jace Bellerin and not Jace the Monster, but I couldn't not 100% for looking at the picture, but all the other ones look to be the same, and I went and read Gideon's abilities, and I'm not sure where the rumor even came from that they were going to try to change his last ability, but um, the video, his abilities are all the same as they are normally. I don't think they're going to be uh, changing Jace if they do put Jace in the next uh, core set. Um, on the forums over in MTG Salvation, someone at the pre-release for New Phyrexia up in Seattle, I guess, talked to Mars, Mark Rosewater when he was there, and I guess that they said that kind of in hindsight that they realized Jace was overpowered, and they don't plan on reprinting him ever. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the way it's going to go. Just like I just said, I couldn't, I couldn't tell definitively, but I'm pretty sure they're not, because like, like you said, I've heard uh, interviews with Rosewater that he said the same exact thing, that it's too over, it's overpowered. But yeah, it does... From that video, definitely makes me think that they're actually are going to be replacing Ajani with Gideon and Liliana Vest with Soren Markov. Well, you can't blame them. Uh, Johnny hasn't really been getting much play, and Gideon gets played constantly. Uh, as far as the replacing of one Black Planeswalker with another, the only thing I can think of is that they're planning on making a new Liliana, and they don't want to have the Jace effect again, I guess, because uh, Soren's not really... Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, they're making a new Liliana, because, I mean... They have to, I mean, they're going to make a new Liliana in a strat, so that makes a good point. Because I think, yeah, like the fact that Jason Bellardin was used as an answer to Jason Mind Sculptor is not something I think they were, they wanted the card to be used for. So it makes sense to me now that you say that to uh, to rotate out Liliana Vest so that when the new one comes in, they don't have that effect anymore. I mean, it was, it was the only, I think it was nice for you to be able to buy Ghetto Jace to try and deal with regular Jace. Uh, but I think it's one of those things that I think that was also what led Wizards to make all these new anti-Planeswalker cards in New Phyrexia because without any way to deal with them uh, and because they've been slowly increasing the power level on Planeswalkers over the past four years since they've been out, uh, you really just need to be able to get rid of them. And that, I think, proved it, that people were running a crappier version of the same card just to get rid of it. I mean, technically speaking, I guess they did remove two of the weakest Planeswalkers in the cycle. Um, Liliana Vest and Johnny haven't really seen that much play, whereas I guess... The only one, other one that's a bit iffy is Chandra, because she really hasn't seen that much play either. But I guess she's pretty central to the storyline. I'm not sure where they're going with that, but yeah. Vest and Ajani, I guess, were pretty weak. But then again, Soren Markov seems like a weird replacement, because he's not really played anywhere either. But I just think maybe they're bringing him in because of the whole, like, vampire fetish that's, like, spreading over the, like, everywhere. You gotta bring in those Twilight hits. I think it's nice that Gideon's gonna be repented. I actually like him both as a character and as a card. I kind of don't like him, but for different reasons. Hopefully with Jace being gone, he won't be as big of a pain. I just don't know how many games I've played with people that own both cards in the same deck, and you basically get a turn four Jace followed up by a turn five Gideon, and then you can't attack Jace anymore, and then Jace becomes an big, even bigger problem. Yeah, Gideon definitely is an issue with some decks. But hopefully all these new anti-Planeswalker cards will uh, help out. Um, I just think it, overall, just in, the power level of the game, I think it's 
was very odd that they introduced all these this new card type that they kind of went hog wild with over the past four years without dealing with better ways to deal with them and specifically going out of their way to have cards that, you know, basically to have as few cards dealing with them as possible. I guess they wanted to make them unique, but it made for kind of an unfun situation if you were the guy that wasn't playing with Planeswalkers versus someone that was playing with multiples. I mean, it depends how you think about it, though, because, I mean, technically speaking, like, every creature you play was an answer to a Planeswalker in some way. So all you have to do is attack them like they were a player. That's not really a good solution, because if you're playing the creature deck and your opponent's playing a control deck and he puts Planeswalkers into play and now you have to attack something other than your opponent, you are basically losing the game every time you do that. Because, yes, you will eventually get rid of that card, but your opponent's getting more and more board presence to the point that they're going to get whatever they're trying to get out to shut you down. And now that you've wasted, like, two, three turns attacking this thing in play that they were also still able to use while you were doing that, you just wasted a ton of time and gave up a lot of your uh, momentum that you had going. No, I agree. I mean, essentially, the only answer to Planeswalkers now are things that remove tokens, like Hex Mage, or things that destroy permanence. Which is not really enough, though, because they deem that's overpowered. What do you think about Hex Parasite? Hex Parasite's awesome. Yep. I think he's okay, but he's a bit expensive to be destroying Planeswalkers with. Uh, yeah, but he allows you to do the thing that I think, uh, you need to be doing in a deck that's trying to win specifically off of attacking. You can pump him up by killing off the Planeswalker and then swing in with him. Uh, and so you can either pay half the amount of mana, you would pay half the amount of mana slash life to pump the planes, pump the dude and weaken the Planeswalker to then kill the Planeswalker, or you can just outright slaughter the Planeswalker by pumping your guy and then swing in and hope to hit your opponent for a bunch of damage. No, you make a good point. I agree. But I just feel like there are probably better answers to Planeswalkers, but I mean, in, the, in the situation you're talking about, that does make sense. Beast within. Act, there used to be a bunch of good answers to Planeswalkers back during the Alara block, and they got rid of all of them. They didn't bother reprint any of them. They got rid of O-Ring. They got rid of, uh, I think it's called Mage Blade or something like that. It's the equipment that allows the creature to deal its damage to your opponent whenever it attacks. So you can basically have your creature kill the Planeswalker and then swing into the, your opponent. I mean, it hasn't had Pithing Needle in, in 10. Yeah, that's why I thought it was a strange situation when... Uh, Alara rotated out and stood at M10, and then we were left with even less ways to deal with Planeswalkers, and, which seemed odd for a number of reasons. No, one, just because it just seemed odd, and two, because we just came off of a season where one of the top decks was Super Friends, which seemed like it was going to be even more out of control. Although, I heard you earlier talking about Chandra. I'm surprised they didn't replace her. Uh, like that, although, I guess they don't really have anything better to replace her with that isn't already currently in format, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Wizards to eventually replace her with Karn. I mean, well, well I don't know about that, but uh, I think they couldn't do that. Cause I think if they're going to have a Planeswalker cycle, there has to be a Planeswalker for each of the five colors. But No, I, no not Sorry, I said the wrong name. I meant Koth. Oh, Koth. Possibly. Yeah, that's possible. The thing about Koth, though, is that thus far, Koth has been like an exclusively Scars of Mirrodin character. Whereas you've got, like, Gideon, Elspeth, and all those other ones that actually have been appearing in multiple planes, like, you know, Alara, um, Mirrodin, etc., things like that. So, I mean, have they actually introduced Karn? I mean, not Karn, but Koth as, like, a character that... I don't, I'm not sure how you do it in the storyline, but maybe if they introduce him as, like, a, a traveling Planeswalker, then maybe they'll put him in a core set. Oh, well, he's only been in one block, because that's currently the only block that's out. Gideon started in Zendikar, so... It's true. 
Uh, but most, also, most, he, he appears, uh, I think he appears, will be appearing in Innistrad. I'm not sure about that, though. Right, but I, I don't think that, uh, they probably won't have Karn in a core set until Karn is rotating out, so I, won't, I won't, don't think he would actually be an M12, I think he would actually end up being an M13, maybe? Which is the, whatever, whichever the first year is that he won't be available to uh, be in the expansions. I don't think Karn's a core set, but then again, I never thought that Gideon was really a core set material either, so I don't, I don't know. But about Chandra, I think her first incarnation, Ch like, normal Chandra and Alar, is actually quite a powerful card. It just doesn't have really a deck that it belongs in. Well, the problem with it is that it doesn't do what Red does. Uh, Koth does. Oh, exactly. That's, I guess that was kind of the point. The other thing is, actually, the other Chandra does exactly what Red does. I just don't understand why she was so expensive. Yeah. Chandra Blaze was a miserable failure. Like, she does, like, she, she does, like I said, her effects are definitely, definitely Red, but she's just too expensive to play when most Red decks are not playing that kind of strategy. Well, I, I guess I just don't understand why she's so expensive to cast. Um, there's no reason for her casting cost to be as high as it is. Yeah, well, I think, I guess, not, I guess the change to M12 seems okay to me overall. Like, I'm not really going to miss a Johnny and that bad, and if Liliana's going to come back in a shot anyway, you know, it's not like we're going to be missing her either, so... And yeah, I think a Johnny was, like, flavor-wise, probably one of my favorite Planeswalkers. A Johnny Goldman and a Johnny Vengeance were actually kind of cool, but none of, like, neither of those were good enough to be that good in tournaments. I think a Johnny uh, Goldman could have uh, made a bit more of a splash if the Soul Sisters deck was somehow able to stuff around uh, past the last rotation. Except removing one of those creatures that gave you life really mixed that deck. Well, in uh, New Phyrexia, we're going to get a new one. Priest of Annoying, I believe. Or maybe not. Yeah, but it's going to run into the same problem that the last one did, where she's that's going to come in uh, just around the same time. She'll be able to make that deck until October, and that's going to go away again. Well, then the way all decks are, that they have certain cards in them, and then they certain cards rotates out, and the deck dies. True, but... It's always a shame when the deck rotates out and it's only really able to be played for a couple of months. Yeah, but we'll never really know. It's one of those things that it was... I, it, it showed up, it worked. I played it in uh, FNMs and had some fun with it. Um, but it was never really able, I think, to get fully explored because everyone, no one really gave it the time of day because they realized it wasn't worth investing time in trying to make it better because it wasn't going to be in format for long enough for it to matter. In that case also, though, it was a bit of a fluke because of the two core sets being there at the same time. Yeah, but it didn't really benefit from two different... Oh, wait, no, yeah, it benefited from... That's where the other one came from. My bad. Never mind. But I see what you're saying, so I'm just talking. Same. Hey, I'm calling it. You guys have a good evening. Thanks All for right, your All right, see help. you. Later, Doc. Later. That's it for episode 26 of The Voice of Seraphim. I'd like to thank my co-host, Eldritch Song, and our guest, Fracture and Easy Pickens, for joining us this week. Until next time, members of the clan can join us on Mumble for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim on Saturday, May 28th at 9pm Seraphim time. This is Dicax, you've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. My name is Gideon. Some say I played a hand in its destruction. Less charitable voices say I was the sole cause of its demise. 
I cared little at the time, as I was blinded by my own self-righteous fury. But then a reckoning came upon me. I found others who could travel between worlds, and whose beliefs conflicted with my own. I was humbled by their power and tempered by their convictions. I resolved to learn from my opponents. I would do better, be better, and fight the very kind of tyrant I had become. For years I stood alone, in countless battles. I won every time.